and welcome back everyone to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm your host, Yara Minova, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the most popular type of talk therapy, which evolved from two distinct schools of psychology, behaviorism and cognitive theories. We will speak about what CBT is, what it's not, and how it can be a useful tool in our everyday life by giving some examples. Let's get started. So I'm back here with our clinical psychologist, Alina Vasilake, and our speaker today. And Alina uses cognitive behavioral therapy a lot in her work alongside with other therapeutic approaches. But her experience with CBT, short for cognitive behavioral therapy, and its effects are very profound. So I'm excited to have this talk. Alina, hey. Hello there. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. Um, happy to talk about such an interesting topic, although I would say it's uh, quite a, a well-known uh, subject. So um, happy to share my uh, view about CBT and my experience with this approach. Amazing. So in our previous episodes, we spoke about how we think influences how we feel and then how we feel influences how we behave. And then, you know, that influences our behavior in life. And CBT is essentially based around that notion that what individuals think about a situation may affect how they feel emotionally and physically and affect what they do. So let's kick off with that. What exactly is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT? Okay, so cognitive behavior therapy um, is one of the main approaches in psychology these days. I think most of psychologists will use it. It's not as difficult as people think. Um, I like to explain it from the beginning. You know, it's not the deepest approach and it's not the hardest thing we will do in our sessions, but it is the one of the most needed um, and people can really see a positive effect from uh, applying and practicing these techniques on a daily basis. So as the name says, cognitive and behavior has these two components. And basically we are working at the cognitive level. So we're trying to um, work on the thinking patterns that people have. Um, and we're working on learning how to choose behaviors that will also help us in life to feel better. Again, the final goal is for people to feel better, for us to have more control over our emotions. So that is the end result of the CBT, to, for the people to feel better or to cope in a, in a better way, uh, easier way with negative feelings. And again, we look at these two aspects. We look at the thinking patterns and we uh, try to change them constantly into helpful thinking patterns. And we've discussed this um, probably we, we will go back a little bit uh, in this episode uh, to the cognitive distortions that we've mentioned previously, mm -hmm. um, because in CBT we do learn how to detect those cognitive mistakes and how to basically um, replace them with alternative helpful thoughts. Um, and in terms of the behavior, people learn very, uh, very well. They become experts at choosing only behaviors that are helpful, not behaviors that are unhelpful. And sometimes 
behavior, certain behaviors can feel helpful in the moment to cope with a negative emotion, but long term, they're not helpful at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, in terms of some of the actual techniques used in CBT, um, I'll name a few. We we use different ones, right? So we have uh, number one is cognitive restructuring. Is this ability mm-hmm. of um, is this uh, skill of detecting cognitive distortions or any unhelpful thoughts, restructuring them, changing them into uh, more positive, uh, more realistic, helpful alternative thoughts. Guided discovery, so we make people really look into, let's experiment, let's really connect to the reality. Exposure therapy comes under the uh, CBT as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Journaling and thought records, this is a tool that we use a lot at the beginning when we start with the CBT until people get enough practice to do it automatically. Scheduling, behavior activation is part of the CBT, although sometimes in psychology we use behavior activation only, mostly for cases of clinical depression, uh, where we need to start with the behavior activation. We cannot work if, if I have a person that is clinically depressed, where realistically their neural system is very, very low. Um, working on the thoughts is just not something you know, mm-hmm. it's not achievable. So then we, we first start with the behavior activation. Yeah. Any stress reduction techniques and relaxation, role playing, all of this go into, um, into CBT under CBT. Yeah. This is why CBT is personally one of my favorite approaches to well being because its uh, effects and its tactics used can be instant. Uh, unlike, for example, you mentioned other therapies like psychotherapy, which takes a lot of time and gets to kind of the root of the problem, whereas uh, CBT kind of, you know, addresses the immediate responses or behaviors uh, in us. So just quickly, I want to cover um, what kind of issues or, you know, um, conditions does CBT usually cover? Like, is it always clinical or can it also just be everyday struggles that we may have? Sure. I think in in what you mentioned before, you were referring to uh, psychodynamics. Uh, You said Mm -hmm. psychotherapy. So I think you're referring to psychodynamic. That is a a deeper approach that goes to the root of the problem origins and takes indeed longer. While the CBT can be very, um, very quick as well, because it's very, problem-oriented and um, tool-oriented. So basically people, when they work with CBT, they have, um, the CBT has a very empowering effect, which is um, what I, I want to mention here, because people step out of the sessions feeling that they have uh, very practical tools and a, a very mm-hmm. strong sense of hope uh, because they feel like, right, I know what I need to do in order to change my negative emotions or not to experience them so often or not to, um, you know, make them worse. Um, so they feel very, very empowered by the CBT. Um, right. And um, you were asking me what uh, conditions or in what cases we can use CBT. Realistically speaking, CBT is useful for absolutely everybody, but definitely and not mm-hmm. only for clinical or significantly clinically, clinically significant cases, um, can be used also to as a self-improvement 
uh, right? So if any person can benefit from uh, doing some CBT, but definitely I, from the first session I have with a, with a person in the way they talk in, in their speech, I can already get if they are making a lot of cognitive mistakes. And if I notice many of those immediately, I will put on my to-do list with that person. And again, this work is very collaborative and you explain to the person and you explain why you consider that that's a needed approach. But um, mm. you, uh, if I detect many in their language, then definitely I would um, start doing uh, CBT. Depends on the case, right? Depends on what is the priority for each uh, patient, for each client. Um, but definitely it's not only for the clinical cases. Yeah, it can help anybody, even myself, uh, every day for myself, I'm constantly making, putting that attention towards, am I making a cognitive mistake? And if I notice one, um, I'll change it immediately. Yeah. Um, right. But as um, from the clinical point of view, well, anxiety and depression are number one mm-hmm. candidates for CBT. <laughs> uh, and we mentioned this in the cognitive distortion when we gave some examples because there's specific cognitive distortion, cognitive mistakes that will lead towards building up anxiety or towards building up depression or both combined, um, but also emotional regulation, um, intrusive thoughts, um so many different other i mean i think in every case cbt is useful yeah for sure um and you know speaking of for example you said depression or depressive symptoms and anxiety uh, i do also want to do an example here similar to kind of what we did in cognitive distortions so just to kind of give an overview of how it works so cbt notes that when people feel depressed the biological symptoms of depression gets elevated. And then along with that comes the negative thoughts and perceptions. So the unhelpful thinking, which is the distortions that you spoke about. And then that kind of leads to emotional states, which altered emotional feelings. And then this results in, for example, let's say a restriction in activities that people engage in, right? Once you're feeling low, you reduce your total activities and you might stop doing things that, for example, previously gave you pleasure and hobbies, relaxation time, all that are given less priority. And then that's kind of like a consequence. And then when people become anxious, they avoid places and situations where they predict that anxiety will occur. And then that avoidance adds to the problem because in the short term, as we spoke before, it can be helpful. But then in the long term, the behavior actually, you know, makes it worse, that avoidance behavior. Um, And then the avoidance, in addition, prevents the person from discovering whether or not these fears are based on actual fears or in some way an extreme and unhelpful way of thinking. So as we can see, both of these are different but very vicious or never-ending cycles that keep affirming and repeating itself. So can you tell us um, what what would be one of the or some of the techniques used in CBT to address this style of um, behavior? Yes, yes, you're very right in everything you're explaining there. Um, There are these vicious cycles that people fall in and they're uh, traps. So I think In every case, I will start by explaining a lot to the people that um, what dictates our mood, what dictates our emotions are not actual the actual events in life, but our interpretation 
or our mm-hmm. mental filter that we placed there. Um, so let's say we will go through a negative event. Um, two people can be um, in the same event or negative event, but place a complete different interpretation. And because of that, mm-hmm. these two people will experience a complete different emotion there. And because of that emotion, they'll experience a complete different physiological reaction in their body or they will have a complete different behavior, right? So I start working with my people, explaining to them, and and I take them through real-life examples from from their own life, and I prove to them that actually it's not the event that's giving you the emotion, it's your interpretation of that event, and uh, and we cannot control the event itself because that's out of our control and we cannot control the physiological reaction in our body and we cannot control the emotion that we feel right we have Mm -hmm. no control over these components but what we can control is the interpretation we put on that event and again this interpretation depends a lot on previous experiences uh core beliefs that the person has um Um, those cognitive distortions. So all of these factors are also included in this analysis. And we cannot control, and and we can also control somehow the behavior that we choose there, right? So this is the CBT. Mm -hmm. That's why the CBT is looking into um, the cognitive aspect, thoughts, and it's looking into the behavior because these are the only two parts of the whole puzzle that can actually be controlled or changed, right? The other ones we cannot change, unfortunately. So we start playing around and testing how it is if we change these two components. And people, slowly, slowly, they understand that actually emotions are better or easier. It's easier to cope with them. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, for, um, you know, the anxiety example, like a technique would that you mentioned exposure therapy. So would exposure therapy more help be more helpful? And even for the depression one where you force people to go out or would it be, for example, another technique, like you mentioned journaling. So, or does it depend on the person? I guess my question is, do certain behaviors have certain techniques that work or is it very individual and personal? It is individual and personal because everything we do in psychology uh, has to be, um, applied to the person we have in front and their own case and reaction, but also there are the the techniques we have are um, the same ones, uh, just how we choose them and at what point we we choose to use them is different from case to case. But let's say that um, I have a negative event. I'm going through a negative event. Let's say um, I lost my job, right? This is a life negative mm-hmm. event, and I cannot control that one. No. My interpretation of that uh, event can be um, I am really um, useless person. Um, this, uh, you know, is really bad. Uh, this will be, you know, the, uh, a disaster, and I will completely lose everything in my life. Okay, that is a very catastrophic, right, interpretation that in general will take a person towards uh, a buildup of anxiety. So from this interpretation, a person obviously will experience negative emotions, right? Because if you place mm-hmm. this filter, you're not going to feel very, very good 
Um, so you're going to feel very anxious, very scared about the situation and very, very um, sad as well. Um, in response to this emotion, of course, that comes linked to physiological reactions in our body. And again, we don't know which one it comes first, but it doesn't matter because they come together. We will have certain behaviors. So a person can get completely paralyzed and not do anything about it instead of being oriented towards the problem. And right, I'm going to update my CV and I'm going to start sending it everywhere and I'm going to start connecting to people and do whatever I can do to activate myself in a, in, from the behavior point of view. Instead of doing that, they might just get overwhelmed with the emotions and, and step into the avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, we go back into reconfirming negative thoughts of clearly I am not good, I don't have this under control, I cannot do anything about it, and so on. Yeah? So this is one of those vicious cycles where we start with what? We will start, we will go back to the initial interpretation of the situation that is very catastrophic, which is catastrophizing one of our previously discussed cognitive distortions. We correct that one. Mm -hmm. From there, the emotion will be less um, or it will be a more realistic, more balanced emotion and the person is, more, is not as overwhelmed. Um, and from there, we also pay attention to the behavior. So we activate the person being oriented towards, you know, we, we put here a technique that is problem solving, for example, or, um, you know, breaking things into small steps and taking action step by step and so on. And like this, we've, we've dealt with the negative situation in our life, but in a more proactive manner. Yeah. It, as you said, it goes back to our cognitive distortions episode um, and about that, you know, those automatic thoughts, right? Those automatic thoughts affect a person's moods and action. So basically, as you were saying, it's about taking or reframing those uh, negative feelings and actions into more positive and kind of helpful behaviors. Definitely. And uh, we can do this simple exercise with almost everything and anything, yeah. Where the moment, uh, actually, this is the way I start working with people. I tell them, okay, this week, pay attention or take notes of a few situations where you felt anxious or sad. So what people notice first is the emotion, right? This is what we notice first. And a lot of people have mm -hmm. zero awareness of what's going on in their mind uh, while they're going through negative events or while they're experiencing negative emotions. And most of the people, they will come and tell me, I have no idea what was going on. It just came out of the blue. All Out of the blue, I had a, a panic attack or a panic mode. And I mm -hmm. always tell them, it's never out of the blue. It's just that we haven't practiced enough until now paying attention to what's going on in our mind and what are those automatic thoughts and so on and so on. So we start literally by simply going to those moments of, I've experienced a moment of sadness, I've experienced a moment of anxiety, or I was scared and nervous. And that's where we start analyzing and we understand how thoughts and behaviors play such a huge role in the way we feel and in the way we manage um, hard situations in life. 
Okay, so that's where we start. That's how we start. And I was saying this because it will be interesting for us to maybe do a live episode where I can simply do this uh, experiment with, directly with people um, just for our audience to understand that um, CBD is CBT is so helpful and, and not that difficult. Of course, it's uh, a, a, a professional guidance is needed because the public out there don't they cannot have this knowledge right or these skills but it's all about practice and learning i absolutely agree with you alina and i definitely think we should even if it's like a video of you as well like explaining the process and and the models that are used like the hot cross the hot cross bun model and like you said i think some techniques definitely need a therapist to guide you. But there's even some of them, for example, you mentioned like journaling or, you know, writing down those thoughts and seeing and asking questions like, is this really true? Or is this a fact? Like these are actually useful tips that you can apply to your everyday life. And like you said, in the beginning, you sometimes stop and do that. And I, and I do that as well. So uh, I really do agree that these are techniques and tactics that we can take with us on, on a daily basis. Yes, for sure. At the end of the day, anything that helps us and writing things down on a piece of paper is so useful. And I encourage everybody out there to do it, even if they don't have the guidance of a professional, because when we put our thoughts in writing and we actually um, see them on a piece of paper, they, we, we really understand much yeah. better what's going on in our mind. And sometimes we are surprised of how many of them or how negative they are. Or we, we, uh, it's so much easier when you see them on a piece of paper to understand how disconnected these thoughts can be from reality. Right. Um, and useful questions, like you said, as how real is this? How, what proof I've have, I actually have of this? What's the real probability of this? Is this reality or probability? Um, is this under my control or not? These are questions that are so, so helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, for example, when you and me were going through my eating disorders, one of the one of my biggest issues was that I always felt like I ate so much and I overate a lot. Although, although this is not something you should do on a daily basis, but when I was writing down what I was eating and sometimes looking back at it and going through it with you over the week, then you realize I'm like, oh, wait a second. I actually am not overeating or I'm not eating as much as I make it in my head. So sometimes when, you know, in your head, like you said, you over, you know, you catastrophize or you overemphasize certain things, but really writing them down on paper somehow grounds you and puts down the reality of it. So I definitely agree about writing it down, although it can be, you know, exhausting or we can get lazy to do that. But once you do, it can be helpful, at least in the beginning, to kind of pinpoint um, your behaviors. Yes, for sure. As, as you say, it grounds you and it's so useful and um, it can be very useful also in cases of um, anxiety. So we, we don't realize, but what's in there, in, we leave it flying in our mind, uh, can really get amplified somehow. Um, so it's the same suggestion uh, and technique I give to people that tend to worry a lot and have uh, the tendency mm -hmm. towards over-responsibility. I tell them just put things on a piece of paper, schedule things, allocate time for everything, and you see how this overwhelming feeling reduces. So again, this technique and this uh, journaling and writing things down is 
just one of the techniques we use, but, and it doesn't, as you say, it can be very um, boring and uh, to do it all the time, but we can only, we can also use it only when it's needed. When the person feels that kind of got lost a little bit and has this feeling of I'm overwhelmed, you can use it only in those moments. Yeah. So you don't have to continuously uh, use it. Yeah. Would you have another technique similar to journaling that people can do on a, like a day-to-day basis? Well, I love um, teaching everybody about such a simple technique, but so useful and so beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I apply this to everything uh, in my life, which is called the worry tree, mostly Mm -hmm. for people with generalized anxiety and people with a tendency towards worrying. And it's how to handle the worry. It's basically a series of uh, questions that you ask yourself when you notice that you're worrying about something. It's all with the purpose of letting go of the worry as soon as possible. So it's about the time that we spend with with that worry in our mind. We need to reduce it to the maximum because worrying is a waste of our energy and it can be very consuming and is literally useless despite of the fact that people believe incorrectly uh, that Mm. worrying will prepare us and will help us to deal in a better way with problems in life, but it's completely incorrect. It's simply wasting our energy and actually reducing our efficacy and efficiency to deal with problems in life. So um, I teach them how to go through specific questions such as, is this reality? Is this probability? If it's reality, is it under my control? Yes or not? Is it my responsibility? Yes or not? If it is under my control and it is my responsibility, when can I do something about it now or later? If it's later, I need to schedule it and let go. If it's now, I need to set up the action plan and do whatever I can do now. The first step, do it right now, not procrastinating, and then I can let go of the worrying. So again, the end result is constantly letting go of the worry as soon as possible. Yeah. So this is another technique Mm -hmm. that can be used by everybody and anybody at any point in their life. And really, if you practice a lot on this, the more you practice, the easier it becomes. And it's so, so useful. Wow. Thank you for sharing that uh, technique with us, Alina. Um, As a wrap up, I also want to note that there are limitations of CBT. As uh, we said before, it doesn't address sometimes the deeper picture. It doesn't always go into the why, but more of, you know, the how we can change it, right? So when thinking of situations like, for example, um, you know, you text someone, they don't text you back, or let's say something happens and it really, really upsets you, like CBT helps you kind of deal with those unhelpful thoughts and, you know, cognitive restructuring and all that. But it doesn't go, doesn't really go into, well, why does that bother you so much? Does that usually have to do with something deeper? I don't know whether it's self-esteem, whether it's remembering something from your past, you know, what, what are these based on? So in a sense, what are the limitations of CBT in that sense? I love the question. I think it's uh, it's great that you're asking this question. So indeed, there are limitations from CBT. And again, this is not uh, us being against CBT. As I mentioned before, CBT is very useful. And I think everybody should uh, work a little bit on the CBT part. But it is true that it's mostly kind of a surface approach um, that definitely will make us not uh, create bigger problems. Uh, in our interpretations, but um, 
Um, as you say, if we have a very, very strong reaction to something and something is really triggering us, mm-hmm. in general, this comes from uh, a deeper level. For example, traumas in the past. So CBT will not be able to uh, heal us from certain to heal certain deep wounds that we might be having because of uh, previous events in life. Or CBT will not be able to work on um, insecure and um, negative attachment that we have, uh, an attachment style. We've discussed this point uh, previously in our episodes. Um, So these are deeper wounds, as I like to call them, where definitely CBT um, finds its limitation. So we need to kind of put the CBT on hold or we continue practicing on the CBT techniques that we've learned uh, and then we go and we work on uh, deeper issues that we, we find yeah, with the, with the client, with the person, with whatever the case is. So again, it varies a lot from one person to another, but as you say, not everything can be um, dealt with or managed with CBT. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for clarifying that, Alina. And um, perhaps in the future, we can also speak about some of the other um, approaches in specific to trauma and trauma-based therapies. Yes, definitely. I believe that in future episodes, we should address the topic of uh, trauma. It's a big one. Um, I work a lot and I specialize in, in trauma interventions and and it's such an important topic for us to um, discuss it as well. Once again, thank you so much for your time and being here and uh, giving us your insight. And I look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. My pleasure to be here. My pleasure to uh, episode by episode break this stigma on mental health and hopefully um, help more and more people out there. Thank you. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Bye.